0: Welcome to the Writer's Hour, where we have creative conversations with up-and-coming authors on their latest books. This is the place to be if you wish to get a preview of new books that are available for the voracious bibliophile, as well as the story behind the story for the voyeur who wishes a peek behind the creative curtain. Here's your host, Janine Bolin. Hello and welcome to the Writer's Hour Creative Conversations and I have with me today Helen Starbuck who I happen to absolutely love because the universe knew I was after another mystery writer. I had read all the books from these other mystery writers so I was looking for another one and I wanted one that was a little bit more realistic and I go on this writer's retreat and who is my <laughs> who is my roommate through most of this retreat is Helen Starbuck and I asked her I said so what do you write you know I'm a nonfiction writer she goes oh I do murder mysteries and I'm like oh, no I wanted a book right then right there because I loved her so much <laughs> I wanted her books and so I'm going to let her talk a little bit about herself. So uh, Helen, thanks for being on. And if you wouldn't mind, share your biography, share a little bit about you before you became this amazing mystery writer.
1: Um, well, my professional career for for uh, most of the time was working as an operating room nurse in uh, the main OR. I started at Lutheran Hospital and then... Worked very briefly for a plastic surgeon, That's a whole nother story. <laughs> uh, and
0: it's a good one. We'll get to that one later.
1: <laughs> and, uh, and then went to a uh, children's hospital and worked in the main o- are there for, gosh, about 10 years. And then I, I went to, um, the national association for operating room nurses, AORN and, uh, worked as a clinical editor on their journal staff. It's a, a journal that goes out to our nurses uh, nationally here in the States and even internationally. And I was for quite some time, the only nurse on a staff of journalists. So my job was to look at pictures and tell them all the practice violations <laughs> that were in a photo, um, tell them if they had x-rays the right way around uh, <laughs> cuz yes there is a left and a right <laughs> and, you know to to try and explain why a photo wasn't so gross we can't publish this and it's like no no oh, our nurses don't think this is gross and it's important so anyway so um so that was my job uh, up until i guess it was 2000 16, 17, I can't remember now. And then um, I was, I had been, uh, I had written the first few chapters of my first book uh, in the mystery series, The Mad Hatter Sun, years ago and came across it and still liked the first four chapters. So I decided to finish it and that's how things got started. And now I'm Three books into the mystery series and I've written two uh, standalone books. The most recent one is um, Finding Alex and um, I'm Colorado native uh, and I love mysteries and I love romantic suspense. Um, But I'll read just about anything. I just like to read.
0: One of the things that Helen and I definitely understood was we both were scholars at heart. We were both also scientists. I worked in the pharmaceutical industry as a analytical biochemist. And so when I found out she was an OR nurse, we had a lot to talk about and we talked about the things we don't like about certain books. So we'll get back to finding Alex in a moment. But one of the things that uh, Helen said to me that I absolutely adored was when she goes, yeah. So when one of my characters gets bashed over the head and has a concussion, You will not see him running across a field in the next chapter. He will need to recover. And I went, thank you. What are some of your other pet peeves that you've read about? But just because people didn't do their research. And that's really what it is. The author didn't do their research.
1: And I think that's the, I think that's my biggest pet peeve is that um, they don't portray injuries or um recovery or the effects of an injury accurately um <laughs> i i don't know if you
0: can <laughs> <laughs> i see yes yes
1: photo and i posted it on my instagram account and i said let's play a game what are the things that you can find in this photo that drive or oh, nurses insane and then i put in parentheses kind of like cops hate crime dramas (laughs) (laughs) and so far i've had uh two people respond and um they got the obvious things a nurse sitting on a gurney um and a nurse with her one of her shoes on the gurney and as i said to them i said there are four so see if you can guess them you know so i i have a lot of sympathy for other professionals who who have that happen. I years ago was watching House with my daughter, and she finally looked at me because every five seconds I was going, Oh my god, he, <laughs> he would have his privileges revoked. He, he playing God knows this roulette. And she finally looked at me and said, Mom, this is a TV show. <laughs> you can't just sit and watch it without commenting every five seconds, you need to go away. <laughs> I like the show. And it's like, okay, fine. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very frustrating.
0: And every profession has that. And so one of the things that Helen and I wanted to talk with you today about, because many of our listeners, yes, you're looking for new authors and new books uh, to read. But we also know that many of you have a book in your possession somewhere in your house where you're writing on it. So we like to give you a bit of advice, too. And so one of the things we were going to discuss was just the amount of research that goes into a fiction novel, even though somebody may be very efficient and proficient at their craft there still is research so yeah if you don't mind i'd love to hear a little bit more about finding alex and what you had to go through because those are some of the funniest stories that never make it into the book well
1: um finding alex just in a nutshell is about a woman who's assaulted um and left for dead and because of a head injury they think and the trauma of what happened she's amnesic and the cop who Um, finds her Well, he almost hits her with his car, Um, can't identify her. And, you know, her fingerprints are not in the databases. She doesn't know her name. She doesn't know who she is or where she's from. And he's also investigating a series of murders where one of the characteristics is that the women's fingertips have been cut off. So the identification of those women is also delayed. And in one case, they never do identify her. Um, so I uh, met a fingerprint expert at the Colorado Bureau of Investigations on a tour that Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers um, set up. And she was great. I taught, I, she, she had handed out her cards and said, you know, feel free to email me. I'm happy to help and um, she was very helpful about the different databases and how you'd go about identifying someone and why someone might not be on any of these databases. And I learned some interesting things. Um, There are four states in the United States that do not require a fingerprint for a driver's license. Um, I think it's Texas, Montana, Maybe Idaho, I can't remember the fourth one. Anyway, so um, had this woman been a resident of that state and if she had a license, she still wouldn't have fingerprints on record. Um, the other issue is, you know, if you haven't committed a crime or you haven't applied for a job that requires a background check, you probably don't have fingerprints on file. So that was fascinating because I wanted to I wanted to make sure that it was plausible that he would have a difficult time identifying her. Um, And he couldn't really post a picture of her on the media because this the guy who's tried to kill her has tried to kill her twice. And so he really doesn't want. You know her photo out there necessarily so that was one expert i had to talk to and uh will keep her on my string of people <laughs> to contact and then um i have a writer friend who uh was an er nurse for years and so if i have an er scene I have to, I have her and I have an ER doc that I run those scenes past. And, um, the ER doc was very helpful in the third book in the mystery series. Um, And my friend Catherine uh, was really helpful. (laughs) She sent me back a three page email and said,
0: I hope you don't mind. But first of all, (laughs) (laughs) there's a list of what's wrong with this scene. (laughs) Um, And
1: so I was like, oh, thank you. I, I so appreciate this because. You know, I have a peripheral idea of what goes on in the ER, but I've never worked in an ER. So um, to have her help with that uh, was great. Um, You know, she told me that uh, no cop uh, would get information about a patient even over the phone. Um, he, He or she would have to come into the ER and prove that that. He was who he was, and so that was one thing that I got wrong. And then um, the the scene at the scene of where she's been injured, I had to add a few things to make it more real. So those kind of things are are really great. Um, and then I there was a question when this woman was taken to the ER, um, whether or not. They had to determine her injuries, obviously the obvious ones, but they were concerned that she might've been sexually assaulted. And uh, one of Catherine's comments, because I had said, you know, she hadn't been because there were no obvious signs of it. She said, well, you need to know that there may not be obvious signs. Um, And so she said, "You, the best you could say is um, there aren't any obvious signs, so we're going to assume that she wasn't, but we're going to do a rape kit anyway, just in case. So I also talked to a sexual assault nurse examiner because um, that's a certain certification that nurses can get. And they work with victims and they conduct if if the victim is female, they conduct the um, rape kit examinations, which are really quite extensive. Um, I didn't quite realize how, uh, how involved this was. So, you know, so it was eye opening um, for me to, to learn all this stuff. And, you know, I can, I can tell you what goes on in the OR um, and can help anybody that has questions about it. But, you know, there are other areas that I have never worked in. So, you know, I think that's the one thing with authors that's so important is to find people who are experts um, and who can look at whatever you've written about that area and say, okay, well, here are the things that are just not quite accurate. Um,
0: And it's always fun for me. Exactly. One of the things that was so fun to sit around the dinner table and listen to Helen talk about was some of the police tours where the police academy, or I'm sorry, that the police force has a writer's academy that fictional writers can actually go to. And I remember you were posting on Facebook about, I wonder if you can get PTSD from (laughs) watching all of these ways that people injure one another. And so it was fascinating. Those stories as you were learning your trade. Yeah.
1: Well, I will say this. Um, well, first of all, it's called the writer's police Academy and you can um, you can contact the, them via their website or on uh, Facebook. And while it's not associated with a specific police department, all of their uh, speakers are either involved in um, local policing or FBI or Um, the DEA or um, major uh, police departments, you know, New York City or Los Angeles. And um, it was fascinating. And I will say this, um, there was one presentation that uh, was um, very upsetting, Uh, but important, I think, to hear was called Cop Killers. And it was a presentation about... um, Mistakes policemen make that get them shot or accidents that get them killed. But the but the saddest statistic was that 63 percent of cops that die, die from suicide. Mm, Um, Right. But the the thing that was um, unnerving and upsetting was that uh, the the, uh, speaker showed um, video, a video montage of policemen actually being killed. And that was like, Oh, my God,
0: I really don't know if I need to see this. That's where you start looking through your fingers. Like when you were five, you know, you got your hands up looking through your fingers going, I don't know if I want to watch this. But at the same time, uh, these are This is real life. And and when you're a writer, you never know where you're going to go. One of the funny things that you were sharing with us at the dinner table again was the fact that you don't have a problem at all now picking up the phone and calling somebody you don't know and saying, Hi, I'm an author and I'm writing this book and I need to know how long does it take a body to decompose, blah, 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 blah. Uh, Kind of talk through your process because that was not how you were when you first started writing. No,
1: the when I first was writing my first book in the in the murder mystery series, I uh, needed to contact a detective to find out a couple things. And I didn't know any homicide detective. So I just threw it out on Facebook and says, does does anybody know a homicide detective I can talk to? And as it turned out, uh, one of my really good friends, she goes, Oh, my cousin is a retired homicide detective. Here's his name, here's his email, you know, or phone number calling. Well, that was a really painful phone call because I was just so embarrassed to say, uh, You know, I'm writing a murder mystery and I have some questions. And, and then to try to explain your plot. Thinking all the while, oh, my God, he's going to think I'm an idiot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That imposter syndrome, man. The challenge is real.
1: Yes, it is. And he was very nice. Uh, He was very patient. And um, as I've said to people before, he's very linear things go in one direction. No, you can't go like this. Um, Like at one point I said to him, okay, so I'm going to have a felon in the hospital because of an injury in the prison. And uh, I need to have him escape. So what would be the police presence? And he said, well, there'd be an officer in the room. um, The suspect, you know, the, felon would be handcuffed to one of the bed rails and there'd be a cop outside the room. And it's like, okay, well, I need to make it easy for him to get, out. So, <laughs> we get rid of the cop. And, no. There'd be two cops. I, but what, no, there'd be <laughs> two <ten> cops. <laughs> okay. There'll be two cops. I can actually solve the issue. But, but it was like, come on, dude, give me a little rope to hang myself. Yeah. So, you know, and but by the time, for example, I got around to this last book, I wanted to talk to a therapist who worked with um, police and veterans with PTSD because my male character has it. Um, and so I happened to know her and called her and said, OK, this is the premise. So if you were a police officer and you had PTSD, but you had learned to sort of control it. Would it be triggered by going to a crime scene as opposed to being involved in an accident that you were involved in? She said it would probably be triggered by the accident and it would probably not be triggered by the crime scene because he would be going to the crime scene with full knowledge that someone is going to be dead and in all probability would have been told it's a shooting or it's a stabbing, or whatever. Um, and then we talked about ways that she teaches her clients to to short circuit the flashbacks or the panic attacks. And I thought it was real interesting. She said she had one client who was driving back to Denver for somewhere and and saw a field with high waving grass, and it. Took him immediately back to being uh, on a, I think it was Vietnam, if I remember correctly, somewhere, and rice paddies. And he pulled over to the side of the road, and the way he brought himself back was he, he stopped looking at the field, and he looked at his shoes. And when he looked at his shoes, he he knew that they weren't his combat boots. He wasn't in uniform, and so he knew that it was a pan, you know a panic flashback. And I thought, well, that's really fascinating. And she said, well, it's the grounding. You have to ground yourself in the present and pull yourself out of this flashback or panic attack or whatever. So you have to, and it's still, I will say, if, it, if it's an expert that I don't personally know, it's, I'm still a little goosey when I first call. Um, But I've gotten to the point where I get over it pretty quickly. And I found that experts are so kind and so willing to help and really very glad that you asked. Um, So I would encourage authors to just bite the bullet and do it. You got to learn to believe it when you say, I'm an author. And I'm writing a book. And that's okay, because that is what you're doing. Um, So it's been a growth experience.
0: It it was, especially as you would talk about expert upon expert that you would have to reach out to. And thank goodness for Facebook and friends, right? Because we were talking about how wonderful it is that we have a network of friends who know somebody. So there's only three degrees of freedom, so to speak. You'll eventually run into that expert that you can say referred you to to that you got somebody to refer you to and the other thing is they're like you they want you to write the story correctly like we talked about at the beginning of the hour it was like we want to make sure that you write this correctly because this is our profession and then anyone who reads your book and you figure out a way to get the felon out of the handcuffs with two cops you figure that out you're going to help us on our security measures in the future <laughs> you know so that was fun but the other thing too is the fact that you have to have that self confidence at the same time to be able to say i'm an author i'm writing a book and this is what i need and they are more than willing to help you because how cool they can go home and then say oh and by the way i had an author contact me yeah they needed some help with the scene they're writing i'm looking forward to the book you know it gives them bragging rights so everybody wins with this haven't you found well, that and i usually tell people that helped me, I said, I'm.
1: if you're okay with it, I will acknowledge you in the acknowledgements in the book. And I learned working on the journal that it's always best to ask for their permission because there are some people for whatever reason that don't want their name out there in public. Uh, For example, police officers, active police officers often don't want you to identify them by name or where they work because there are people out there that want to do them harm mm-hmm. um, so
0: you do you do need to ask but most people are like oh that'd be really cool thank you <laughs> thank you for asking yeah consent permission is a big thing these days and we do have to honor that even if we are writing a fiction story it's still the rules are still in play yeah. well so we talked a little bit about the writing process and reaching out for research and all that stuff anything else you want to tell us before we wrap up about finding alex i know you have umpteen bazillion stories can you cherry pick a few for us
1: uh well my mystery series um the main character like i am is an or nurse and in the first book she gets drug into and trying to figure out why an old friends of hers is ill and then why she commits suicide and in the second book the the same characters carry over and um because of her work with the homicide detective in the first book, she's asked to help him investigate mercy, possible mercy killings at her hospital. And then in the third book, um, the felon from the first book that she and her uh, now eventually husband help put away has managed to escape and that was the two cop issue
0: (laughs) we had to get creative on that one (laughs)
1: Um, and he's he's coming for payback and um and it's so it's uh it's a little more exciting and it's a little more violent um but not horrendously so um and then the, the two standalones my legacy of secrets is um more of a family mystery. Um, A young woman's father dies supposedly of suicide and she's convinced that he didn't, Um, but she knows so little about him and his family. And so it's kind of a journey to find who her father was and why he may have committed suicide. So that's the mystery in that one. And then Finding Alex is um, more of a traditional well, and legacy is what they would categorize as romantic suspense because there is a romance that threads through it and the same with Finding Alex. Um, but it's about trying to figure out who this woman is and her trying to figure out who she is and to try, try to figure out if she, her assault is connected to the women who've been killed. So. You know, those are those are kind of it in a nutshell. Um, I really like um, I really like. Well, I really like my series, although it's kind of at a standstill and it the third book may be it. I don't know. I'm still in that headspace.
0: Um, if and- you don't mind, I'm going to cut in here. For those who may not know, the Annie Collins series that she is referring to, Helen and I have had numerous conversations both online and when I'm recording her, versus uh, also on phone calls where it's like, oh my God, Janine, you'll never guess what my characters are doing. And this happens a lot to fiction, fictional authors where their characters were basically say, yeah, we know you want to write the next volume of the series, but we're done and wow. we're taking a rest. And so that's why Helen launched into these one-off novels because her characters basically went on strike. So uh, go ahead. You, you say it so much better than I do.
1: Well, I I joke that uh, Annie and uh, Angel, her husband at the, by the end of the third book, were just like, we're done with you girl. Uh, You know, we're taking a vacation and I don't know if we'll be back so you're just going to have to be patient.
0: Wow. And that's it. We yeah. don't know if we're coming back to you or not. So you go do something else while we recover from what you put us through in volume three. <laughs> well,
1: and you know, I, I've heard a lot of, um, fiction authors say this and I, it's really true for me. Um, there's a meme with this little girl with a frowny face, kind of like what we called my daughter's, um, uh, the look from my daughter was kind of this mm-hmm. and the, the blurb is um, how I am when my characters stop talking to me. <laughs> and, and they do. I mean, I realize that it's your subconscious working on these stories and, and whatnot, but it really, it really feels as if they're talking to you because you can get off in the weeds and all of a sudden, you know, you've, You dream that they come to you and they're just like, no, no, it's just no. (laughs) Come back here. Have you thought about doing this? And so I kind of kind of look on my um, characters as co-authors,
0: if you will. Yeah. And and I've heard that over and over again. And even from some of the nonfiction authors when they're doing some storytelling in a area to use it as an example, uh, they will talk about, I need to know pacing. I need to know how to develop characters, all that, even though I am a nonfiction author, because there is a pacing to it. And you guys are masters at that, at keeping us entertained. And yet, you know, uh, one of the things I love about Helen's books is they are factual. I know the work she goes through and and some people say, say well that kind of ruins the story for them but for me it always made me appreciate whatever uh, film or book I was reading when I know all the research that went in behind it that will never see the light of day because (laughs) it didn't fit into the book right well and I now trust me I didn't get a call from
1: Netflix but I went to a book signing with Craig Johnson, who writes the Longmire series that has now been translated to Netflix. And I remember one of the episodes where a character had been in a car accident and thrown from the car and she's laying out in this field, supposedly unconscious with her eyes open, um, you know, staring up into a sunny sky. And then when she's in the OR getting her um, subdural hematoma taken care of, she's intubated which means general anesthesia and she's blinking her eyes and it's like no. <laughs> so, so,
0: time to call craig craig what are you doing why are you letting the screenwriters do this to your book
1: well, what, I, what i did was when i came up to have my book signed i handed him a card and i said if you want pass this on to netflix and i could tell them all the mistakes they made in their own <laughs> <laughs> and he grinned and he goes, Okay. <laughs> no, like I, said, I never got a call from Netflix.
0: Well. Bummer on that, but well, we're going to wrap this up. Is there, you know, how can people get on your newsletter? Oh, I want to preface this: when you get on Helen Starbucks newsletter, she does not pummel you with emails. She lets you know what she's doing. She will let you know when a new book is coming out. She will also let you know when she has a call out for beta readers and these type of things. If you if you love her work as much as I do, these are things I want to know what my authors are doing. So, uh, how does somebody sign up for for your newsletter?
1: Um, you can go on my website, which is helenstarbuck.com and down at the bottom. Uh, well, actually there's a pop-up that says, you know, sign up for your newsletter. And when you do that, uh, you go on my list and you get a welcome uh, email with uh, access to a sort of prequel about how Annie and Angel meet each other. And those, that isn't in the books and then so i i try to uh and and of course it's like anything if you get a couple newsletters and you're like man this isn't for me you can unsubscribe at any time so you're not locked into it and um so you know i i try in addition to just announcing what's going on book wise i try to give people um glimpses into characters um At my last launch, uh, a friend of mine, a dance friend of mine, said, "Okay, I want to know what dances Angel, Evan, and Blake would do." (laughs) I had to think for a minute. I was like. Well, Angel do Argentine Tango, and Gavin you know, would do country western two step, and Blake doesn't dance. Right, I was right. To say Blake wouldn't dance. <laughs> so in the newsletter that came out, I, I you know. Re- reiterated that. And then I put links to the various dances and I asked people, I said, if you can think of a dance that Blake might do, if he was pressured into doing (laughs) (laughs) then let me know, you know? And and so um, it's interactive. I like it when people respond. Um, Not everybody does and that's fine too. And I don't get a whole lot of unsubscribes. I think maybe I've had three over the last few years. So apparently people like, what I'm putting out. So um, sign up and see how it is. and, And if you like it, stay put. And if you don't, you can unsubscribe.
0: Yeah. uh, That's what I love about independent authors is you don't have to worry about your email going into a machine and it pumping, you know, a bunch of emails into your inbox. Helen is very, very kind to you. So Helen, thank you for taking time out of your busy day on your book launch to get us taken care of. And thank you. Uh, Helen was kind enough to hand me and actually mail, I'm sorry, (laughs) mail me an advanced reader copy, but I haven't read the book yet because I'm known for spoilers. So I will be putting a review after I finish reading it after this interview uh, on Goodreads as well as Amazon. If you have read any of Helen's books, would you please be kind enough to go to Goodreads and give her a review as well as go to Amazon? Because authors, we are really in need of supportive people that will guide us on what you like so that we can keep keep entertaining you with our wonderful characters so Helen have a great day and thank you so much for this
1: thank you I've enjoyed it talk to you later
0: so this is Janine Bolin with the writer's hour creative conversations keep your feet firmly planted on the ground as you reach for the stars thank you for listening to the writer's hour To hear more about the creative conversations that Janine Bolin is sharing with her listeners, please visit JanineBolin.com forward slash guest.